Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. Amen. Let's take our Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians 10 is where we're going to start. We're going to go to a number of different passages. We're studying about how to glorify the Lord. And let me just put this with our Sunday morning message that we had Today, when we're talking about making sure you understand this is part of that training and understanding how it is we're going to glorify the Lord. This does not mean that this is the list of stuff that we need to focus on and we can check the box off and say, okay, I've glorified the Lord. I've done this, this, that, and that. Remember, it's not the externals. But this is the training of things that this is something that you can do. You can actively seek to glorify the Lord. Now, we gave a definition of what it means to glorify the Lord. We gave this definition that it's living focused on God. Psalm 16, I I have set thee before my face. Set thee ever before me, the psalmist said. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to live with you in focus. And it's living focused on God so that we feel and think and act in such a way as to testify and magnify and give weight to the supreme greatness and satisfaction that is our God. And we talked the last time that we met just about two basic things. How how we do that, number one, we choose to submit to Christ. You have to actively choose. It's not going to happen automatically. But then we talked about, and this is where we finished last time, is that you have to make sure that you are gaining your most satisfaction from Christ. We took this from Jeremiah where Jesus Christ said, my my people have committed two great evils. And what are the great evils? Well, the first great evil is that they have forsaken their one opportunity for satisfaction. They've turned their back on me, Jeremiah 2, he says. And they've instead hewed out broken cisterns. They've gone after something that cannot be satisfying. And so we talked about the importance that we, we need to make sure that we're preferring him above everything else, that we're not allowing something to usurp him in our heart. Now, as we continue to look at this, I I wanted to just really quickly kind of tag on to what we talked about last week and then go into some new things this week. In one sense, I don't want to drag something out because I I do know that uh, if we can go too long, get too focused and get too intense on something and we can begin to get a little weary in well-doing, a little weary in hearing, I guess, a little dull of hearing. But I think it's also important to understand why this is such a battle, why it is so easy to turn away from glorifying God and turn away from what it is he's called us to do. And I I think there are three basic things that make it difficult for us to be supremely satisfied in Christ. And here's what I mean. I mean, so satisfied in Christ that it doesn't compare to anything else. Not that we, everybody, nobody in here is going to say that they they don't love Christ. Nobody's going to say I don't love God. We're going to say, hey, do you love the Lord? Yes, I love the Lord. Do you remember, I don't know if your high school youth group did this, my high school youth group did this. We sang a song, um, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Do you remember that song? That song struck fear in my heart as a teenager because the youth pastor could call out, oh, David, do you love Jesus? And then you had to sing a solo in front of the entire youth group, oh, yes, I love Jesus. And and especially if your voice was cracking, even if it wasn't cracking, it probably was going to crack. But anytime they came out, it's like, please don't ask me. I was so fearful of man that I didn't want to sing in front of them and say, yes, I love Jesus. And sometimes I would just go, yep, give them a thumbs up. Of course I do, we're good, uh, that kind of thing, because I didn't want to sing. But we're not, we're not talking about going through the externals of saying that you love God, but the actual real on the inside, do you draw more satisfaction from something than you draw from God? I am not saying 
that the key to this is now, okay, well then let's wander around life and be miserable about everything uh, and so that nobody can say that we you know, don't love God more than anything else. What I'm saying is, is you have to stop and look at it and realize that if something is in your life more pleasurable, more satisfying, more drawing to your heart, that you've hewed out a broken cistern. And I think there are, there are three basic things. We're going to look at these three things tonight, and then we're going to continue on looking at some other ways that we can glorify God. Uh, you're there in, in 1 Corinthians 10. We will look uh, at 1 Corinthians 10, and then we'll go to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and some other things, and we'll tell you as we go, and you can turn there, and we'll put it up on the screen for you. So let's have a word of prayer. Lord, bless this time. Help it to be profitable, helpful, encouraging, and Lord, instructive to us as we, as we understand the battle that goes through our hearts and minds and bodies as we try to glorify you and get distracted by so many different things. Lord, I, I pray that you would help this to be an encouraging and strengthening time. Thank you. Lord, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. The Bible says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. So it means in everything that you're doing, whether eating, whether drinking, whether watching football, whether playing golf, whether shopping for this or, or, or spending time with this person or spending time with this person, that you are making sure that you are doing that in such a way that it's bringing God glory, which part of that is drawing that supreme satisfaction from him, testifying that God is supremely satisfying. Well, what, why is that such a... Comp- competition in our heart. I believe there's three main things. Um, the first one, we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I believe the first thing that makes us find something more pleasing than God is when our life gets to a point of ease. In fact, I used to think that that was one of the goals of the Christian life, where we got to a place where it wasn't always a battle and it wasn't always a fight. And could, can we just get to a point where I, I can just be relaxed and be okay and be at ease? And actually, God warns the children of Israel here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we'll start in verse 7. It says, The Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive oil, of oil olive and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Here's what is supposed to happen. All of the blessings that God gives you, whether it's your children or whether it's your spouse or whether it is a a good day out on the boat or whether it is a a wonderful day out with friends, whatever it is that he gives you, uh, it is supposed to be something that spurs your heart to go, wow, Lord, you're good to me. And it inspires worship. And here we have God going to the children of Israel saying, I'm going to put you in a land that's going to be wonderfully abundant. Now, I will tell you that having lived here in America and then having visited Israel, um, the idea of rolling hills and lush valleys in Israel is kind of difficult to come up with in my mind because there's not a lot of rolling and lush. But comparison with where they had come from, the Sinai, Sinai Peninsula and all the rest of that, all of the difficulties that they had and the different areas that were available to them, it's just amazing that this particular land has been fought over for millennia. But it is a land that God said, I'm going to give you. It's going to be a benefit to you. And when you experience all that benefit, when you're pulling iron out of the stones, when you're pulling brass out of the hills, when you're eating bread without scarceness, when your crops are growing, make sure that your heart turns to me. And look what he says. 
Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, we're in verse 12. Well, let's go to verse 11. That's a good one. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, and not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses, and dwelt therein, thy herds and flocks multiply. Thy silver and gold is multiplied, and all thou hast is multiplied. Then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, where were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water? Who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint? Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end? And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. God specifically says, listen, when your life gets easy, it's going to tend to turn your heart away from me. And you have to realize that when life is easy, and honestly, for the, for the American, our life truly is a life of ease. Now, we're putting stress on ourselves with all of these different things that we're putting out here, but we are a wealthy nation. And if you've never had the opportunity to travel to another nation, you've never had the opportunity to be in a third world country or a place where they actually do work from day to day and where they actually don't have jobs. Many of us struggle with being able to keep up with the American lifestyle, but there are folks that literally day by day do not know where their next meal is coming from. And our poorer folks would be considered rich in most of those countries. And God says, when you get easy and you get relaxed, that's when it gets easy to turn your heart away from the Lord. And so ease is something. Ease is something that will drive us away from glorifying the Lord and from having that satisfaction in him. But not just ease, there's something else. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to stay with me, I want you to see a particular thing. 2 Timothy 3, Paul is warning Timothy about the end days, and about what's going to happen. And he says in chapter 3, verse 1 of 2 Timothy, that in the last days perilous times shall come. And then he's going to make a list of things that I think most of us would shudder to be a participant of, okay? Lovers of their own selves. Nobody wants to walk in and say, yes, I love myself supremely. I am the most important person in the world. Except for maybe teenage fellas, nobody here is going to admit that out loud, right? Most of us are going to say, well, no, no, I love my children, I love my wife. We don't want to be in this category, lovers of their own selves, covetous. We don't want to be known as covetous. Right? We don't want somebody to say, oh, that's, yeah, that, well, his, what's his skill? Well, he's really good at coveting. That, that's, he's really good at that. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. We certainly don't want to be accused of that. Fierce, despisers of those that are good. By the way, that word incontinent is not the same incontinent that you, some of you are probably thinking of. Uh, that is not a sin. Uh, the incontinence that we define it as, uh, kiddos, you can ask your mom and dad what that means on the way home. <laughs> and I'm probably going to be sleeping in the garage, but we're going to keep going. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Now, up to this point, I don't know about you, but there have not been a long list of things that I've gone, oh yeah, that's me, oh yeah, that's me. But this next one hit me right between the eyes. Look at it. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. This is a sign 
of the wickedness in the last days. And the wickedness is going to be, they enjoy football more than they enjoy God. They enjoy golf more than they enjoy God. They enjoy Netflix more than God. They enjoy a nice cooked steak more than they enjoy God. And don't try to spiritualize this and turn this into something else and say, well, spiritually, I appreciate God much more than I appreciate a good ribeye. Yes, but what, what, what does your heart get turned to? There have been times in my life when I've been more excited about finding money that made it through the wash and it's in my pocket. I have woken up with the new mercies of God surrounding my very, very soul. And I haven't stopped and gone to worship. Then I stick my hand in my pocket and I feel something wadded up and I go, oh, a dollar bill made it through. And I'm kind of excited. I pull it out. And it's a $5 bill. I'm a little more excited. It's a $10 bill. I'm really excited. If it's a $20 bill, I look over my shoulder to make sure Dave's not watching. And I get so excited. Why is that? Because in my human flesh, an extra $20 is much more easy to get excited about than the new mercies. Because I love pleasure more than God. And when that hit me, that, that, that challenged me with, this, with the realization there should not be one thing that I look forward to. And I started looking at some of the different things that I look forward to, and I started asking God, God, truly, help me to desire you more than that. Do you remember what it was like when your kids were little or when you were little on Christmas morning, how much you looked forward to? Kiddos, you know how slow Christmas goes by. Now, many of us in this room, Christmas doesn't go by slow. It just keeps showing up quicker and quicker all the time. But I remember... When we moved to Florida, and my, I had so many people that came up and said, what do you guys do for vacation? Your girls just talk about the beach. They, they can't wait to go to the beach. What happens at the beach? And then when I looked at them and said, oh, that's when my dad rents a house and the entire family, all 40 of us, all stay under one roof for a whole week. Be surprised. You could find out what people think of their families really quickly when you tell them that. And you tell them, we all spend it, and they go, what? They go, man, they really look forward to that. And I started thinking about that. I said, God, do I, do I look forward to you? Do I look forward to having time with you? When I get time off, do I think I get more time with God or I get more time on the internet? Do I get more time with Instagram or do I get more time with the Lord? And I will tell you there are many, many times, many, many times when my heart is drawn to love of pleasure. And it's a broken cistern. How many of us have wanted to sit down and just, well, I got some extra time when I'm going to watch something on YouTube and hours later we're watching cats play pianos or something. And we're tired and we're thinking, what are we doing? Because it's a broken sister. And you keep thinking, well, the next one will be better. Well, the next one. I got a little bit of a laugh. Maybe I can find another. And we keep scrolling and we keep scrolling. So it's, it's, it's pleasure. It's ease. But then another one that has driven many people away. You don't have to turn here because it's not a long. It's just one verse we'll put up on the screen for you. One of the things that causes people to turn away from God and, and seeking pleasure in God is pain. Long-term pain and a struggle with pain, body that doesn't work the way that it should, a sickness, an illness, an illness in you, an illness in someone else. We see this in Job chapter 2. His wife said unto him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. And we talk about how terrible it was for Job's wife to say these things, but this lady had just lost all of her children. And then she came out to see her husband so terribly sick that he is scraping the boils off of his body with broken pottery. And she is broken. And she herself gets to the point the pain is too much. And she says, you know what? God's not worth it. Curse God and die. 
And so we have to be careful because there are things that will turn our heart away from God. And I would encourage you, I would challenge you to just look at it and say, okay, there's nothing, listen, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a good run or a good bike ride or a good movie or a good book or a good dessert or a good whatever. There's nothing wrong. But when our heart stops and we just say, wow, that was delicious or wow, that was beautiful or wow, that was interesting or wow, did you hear that? And we just stop at that and our heart doesn't continue on and it doesn't cause us to worship and be in awe of the God who enabled us to experience that. We're missing out on what the purpose of that is. And that draws our heart away. And we need to make sure that we as Christians, well, we can't do this on our own. This has to be the grace of God that teaches us this. Remember this from this morning. But we can't allow ourselves to become lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And so that's a couple of things that we talked about. Let's move and go through some things quickly about some other things that we can do to show, to magnify, to testify, to give weight to who our God is. The next one is going to be simple, but it's surprisingly simple and sometimes often we struggle with. So number three, another thing you can do to glorify God. You can trust him. Listen to Romans chapter 4. It's amazing. Paul says, he's talking about Abraham. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Isn't it amazing how quickly we will stagger in unbelief? Does God love you? Yes. Come outside and your tire's flat. Oh, there's a stagger. Or take your child to the dentist and the dentist, uh, you hear them call from the back of the office. Call my wife, tell her to buy the boat. Because you know you're about to fund it because your, your, your children's teeth have rotted out of their head. And we stagger, well, is God going to do this? Or this other bill comes up, or this other difficulty, or this other worry, or this other fret, or this other fear. He didn't stagger at it. He, he didn't trip over what was going on. The promise of God that he was going to be a father in his 90s didn't stagger. Now, some of you look at that and go, wait a minute, it seems like he did stagger. Oh, that's the, that's the grace of God that taught him, that encouraged him, that strengthened him. He did not stagger, but was strong in faith. Look at that last phrase. Doing what? Giving glory to God. Do you know, folks, when you get that difficult diagnosis from the doctor and you express your faith, you give glory to God. When you don't have enough money to make it to the end of the month and you express your faith, you're, you're giving glory to God. When your children look at you and ask a question about something that they don't, they don't understand why God is doing things a certain way and, and you necessarily can't see it, but instead of staggering, you look at them and say, well, listen, we know God's good. We can rest in that. We can trust in that. You give God glory. And trusting God absolutely glorifies him. Why? 1 John 5.10 tells us that when we don't believe him, we call him what? If God says, lo, I am with you always, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And then we worry through something, we're, we're calling him a liar. And that's what 1 John 5 tells us. And so we glorify God by trusting him. How else do we glorify God? This is basic, we saw this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. But we glorify God by attempting to glorify God. Now we're not always going to get it right. But we attempt to glorify God. And you know what, when you attempt to glorify God, when you're, trying, when you're saying, Lord, I'm living with you before me, what should I do in this situation with this child? What should I do with this coworker? What should I do here? If you're trying to do that and you're trying to give glory to God, that is your focus. God is honored with that. The Bible says here in Romans 9, 23, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Ephesians 2.10 says that he, it was before ordained that we should do good works to accomplish God's will. And when we attempt to do God's work, 
for God's glory, even if we make a mistake. Even if we make a mistake, God is not going to punish us if we are aiming for God's glory. There are times when the people said before God, I did not know. God said, I know. That's why I protected you from the bad choice that you made. I remember a long time ago, uh, Day and I, as we were walking around, now, when we first got married, I think all of our furniture came from aunts and uncles and other people. I mean, we had, a, how do we decorate our house? We decorated our house and what our relatives threw away. That's how we decorated our house. And we had, uh, remember that we got married in 1993, and so water beds were still a pretty popular thing. And we had a water bed that was one of the water beds that was basically a pine box with a bag of water in it. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, we enjoyed that up until my wife was about seven months pregnant. And it was very difficult to get out of the waterbed. And it was very difficult to get in and out of the waterbed and not wake up the husband. That was the main problem, let's be honest. Okay, as she was getting up numerous times throughout the night. Well, my aunt said, hey, we've got a waveless waterbed. It's a king size. Do you want it? Sure. So it doesn't have a base. You'll have to make your own base. Okay. So I made my own base out of, I forget what it is, two by sixes or something like that back then. So it was really low to the ground. And we were walking around the second floor of the mall. Boys and girls, the mall was a place where your parents used to go uh, and it had a lot of different stores in it. And we would walk around to different stores, kind of like you do on the internet, but we would actually do it physically uh, because we didn't have an internet. So anyways, we were at the mall and we walked upstairs and we we're walking through this place. I think it was, was it it was like JCPenney or Sears or something that had all their different beds and things laid out. And so they would have like a, a bedroom suit. They would have a bed there and the t- tables and the whatever, the bed roof, whatever that's called. I forget. But they would, they would have that around. And we walked by this one bed and she said, oh, that's pretty. I like that. And I looked over at it and this bed was like four feet off the ground. And it, and it had this, I mean, it literally the bed was like this high. And I thought, Really? Day likes that. Hmm. So um, I actually started praying. I said, Lord, I'd, I'd like to make a, a nice high frame that we could put that, that water bed on. And so I started doing some math. I can't do real good math, but as I started to try to do math, I realized it needed to be some pretty stout wood if it's going to be pretty high up. Well, we were building this auditorium, and some of you that were here, I may not know this, but they brought in all the shipments of doors at one time, and as they were unloading the doors, a bunch of them slipped off the the forklift and fell and hit the ground and nicked the corners of about six doors. So these are like two and a half inch solid core doors with a corner nicked, and they tossed them into the dumpster. So guess who went dumpster diving? I pulled out these things, and Dave went somewhere, and I said, okay, and I got this, and I had Mark Busby helped me draw it up, and I, I sawed them down, and I had these, and these were 36-inch doors, so this is three foot tall, and I got this down, and I emptied however many 12,000 gallons is in a, a king-size waterbed, and Dave was gone. I put it back up. I, I put it up there, made the bed, first time in my life, had it all, but I sat there and said, oh, this is going to like, and I was so proud. I said, Dave, I've got a surprise for you. She said, really? I said, yeah, go, go look. She went in, she walked in the bedroom, and she went, why is it so high? <laughs> I said, remember when we were in, in JCPenney, you said that it was really high? She goes, oh, I was talking about the pillows and the shams and the, and the duvets and the, and the, why is it so high? <laughs> and so I'm like, well, 
And that's what we had for the longest time. Now, the biggest advantage of that was that our small children could not climb into bed until they were about four years old. And so there, there was a benefit to having it. But I, my attempt, I did not get in trouble for ruining my wife's bed. The, the desire was there. The aim was there. The information wasn't there. And honestly, when you read 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. I understand if you go home tonight and, and you get some coffee or, or you get a soda or you get some tea or some water and you sit down and you look at it and you go, how am I going to do this? It starts by trying. Lord, I'm about to drink some ice water. I've always just drunk ice water because it's what was in my cup. I don't know how to do this to your glory. Lord, help me to honor you. And, you look, and I don't know the conversation that you're going to have, but maybe you're going to look down and you're going to say, Lord, thank you that I have ice water. Thank you that I can go to a machine in my kitchen and just, do you have that machine in your kitchen? You can just put your, uh, do you remember when there weren't machines like that in your kitchen? That just made the ice and spit it out for you and crushed it if you wanted it crushed? Right? And, and now they have all, the, and, and you can, but, but you aim for it. You simply say, God, this is what I want to do. So you aim for God's glory. Let's keep moving. Next one, number five. You seek to love what he loves and hate what he hates. Psalm 69, 9, listen to this. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. I was reading a particular, I forget who was, was preaching this, but he read a letter from somebody that he had led to the Lord that they were visiting in his town and he and his wife led this person to the Lord and they gave them a Bible and then they went back to their hometown which was on the opposite side of the country. But this person would send letters back to this preacher and this preacher would read one particular letter and it was unbelievable listening to this person who had just been saved for a couple of weeks saying uh, how they could not believe how God was treated by the Israelites. And it was, was refreshing to read the letter because the person did not have all of the Christian lingo, but they said, I can't believe that after God did this and this, they just did that. What were they thinking? I just felt so bad for him. <laughs> and she was talking about God like he was a real person. And the point was, so often, we're interested in what we're interested in. And instead of God, what do you think about this? This person wants to come up and talk to me. God, what do you think about this? Lord, what is it that you've brought this to me? But having this desire, Lord, help me to love what you love. Lord loves sinners. The Lord loves the little things. The Lord is gracious. Lord, help me to be gracious. Lord, help me to love what you love and to hate what he hates. So often as Americans, we're entertained by what he hates. We, we, we participate with what he hates instead of running from so I would encourage you to aim for God's glory, to trust him, to seek to love what he loves, to hate what he hates. Next one, really quickly. You have to constantly choose to reject self and choose others first. You know, our default is me first. Listen to Ephesians 2. The Bible says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in time ye walked according to the course of this world, to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in time past, in... The lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. Paul's saying we were just like everybody else. All of these wicked people that are going, to, we are just like them. And what we did was the same thing they're doing. We just live for ourselves. And so one way of glorifying God is consciously rejecting. Matthew recorded Jesus saying, deny yourself to follow me. And following and saying, God, what can I do for others? 
You know one of the more difficult things where this pops up in? Matthew 6, Jesus Christ said, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Now, I'm not saying that this is what everybody does. But one of the things that concerns me, and it's actually, some folks will joke about it, is this this popular culture of let me present my life on social media so other people can be amazed at what I'm doing, what I'm eating, how I'm reading, what my coffee looks like, the different things. And we do that to be, now it's possible that that people are doing that, that. I'm not judging, trying to say that everybody is like this. But this idea of the interest of getting clicks and likes and getting shares and different things like that so that we can be seen of men. And God says, don't. Don't do things to be seen of men. Don't, don't worship and act differently at church than you worship when you're at home in your devotions. Don't pray differently in front of a crowd. Don't do that. Look what it says. When they do thine alms, verse 2, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may have glory of men. All of us, our default setting is, hey, look at me. Hey, did you notice me? Hey, did you see what I did here? Did I get a thank you note for that? Uh, do you understand who, who started this at this church? Do you realize why we have this? Do you realize who was the first one to do this? You say, Pastor, people don't really do that. Yeah, they do. I do that. I'm now so old that I remember when certain things started. And there are young people that come around and they say things like, why in the world would we do this? And I was part of the committee that decided to do that. And I go, hey, now, come on, that was a good idea back in the, you know, whatever. And to me, it wasn't that long ago, and it seemed like it was a good idea. Then I think about it, that's 30 years ago. That was a long time ago. And we want to say, look at me. It's, our flesh is hardwired to seek our own glory. And let, let me say something to, to, to one particular group. I want you to see this. In John 21, John 21, Jesus talks to Peter. And he tells Peter that he's going to get glory from something that most individuals that I speak with do not understand as having anything to do with God's glory. Listen to what he says. Jesus said to Peter, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. What is he saying? When you were young, you did what you wanted to do. If you wanted to go to the store, you went to the store. If you wanted to hop in the car and go for a drive, you hopped in the car and went for a drive. If you wanted to live in Casey, you could buy a house in Casey. If you wanted to buy in Lexington, you could, you, could, you could live in Lexington. If you wanted to live in Gaston, <laughs> probably an issue with, no, no, you can live in Gaston, okay? What Jesus was saying to Peter is saying, when you were young, you got to do what you wanted to do. But look what he says, this is interesting. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another will gird thee. So often I will talk to senior citizens that will say, I hate that I can't. I hate that I'm no longer to. I hate that my children don't want this to happen. They want me to go here and here and here. And there, there was one time, they're in heaven now, but there was one time we were over in the house with some folks uh, that the husband fought in World War II. And he was complaining about his son and daughter who were in their 70s that wanted mom and dad to change some things. And they said, who are they to tell us what? Because we're so used to. And God says, there's going to come a time when you're going to have to stretch your hands 
And somebody else is going to have to help you. And it says, another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. That was Miss April Kelly's life verse for the last 10 years of her life. It was actually before then. Because she didn't get to choose where she was going. You know, because her, her scooter wasn't that fast, amen? She could go for a little bit, somebody could catch up, and turn the scooter off and say, no, we're not going that way. You say, well, why does God allow that to happen to us? Why does God allow, the growing old isn't for the faint. What's the purpose of growing old? Why isn't God letting me? How come I can't? Why? Look at it. This spake he, verse 19, signifying by what death he should glorify God. I can't point to the specifics, folks. But even when they come and take away my driver's license, which honestly some of them are trying to do right now, when I no longer get to choose where I live, if I live long enough, it may come to a point in time where my daughters are going to have to sit down and they're going to, they're going to decide where I'm going to live. God's glory can still be accomplished. We would look at that and think there's no way, there's, no, there's not one person in here who dreams for that. But Jesus Christ said to Peter, there's coming a time when you're going to have to reach up and people are going to take you where you're not going to want to go. And then John gave us the insight, the Holy Spirit gave him the insight saying, Jesus told him this because he told him how he was going to glorify God at the end. And so glorifying God is not about, it's not about you maintaining your independence until the last moment that you take your last breath. Some of you may be able to do that, but some of you may have to stretch forth your hands and someone else carry you whether you don't want to go. You may have to stretch forth your arms and somebody gird you in something you don't want to be girded in. <laughs> you don't want to be dressed in that, but that's what they bring out. And you don't have the ability anymore. And instead of getting frustrated and saying, this isn't fair, this isn't right, I should get what I want. Remember, God has a purpose and a plan and it involves his glory. And let's stand to our feet. We'll, we'll stop right there before I get in. We just have 7, 8, 9, 10, 11... Four more, we should finish up next time that we meet. And let me remind you, these are not things I want you to check off and say, okay, this is the list to glorify God. These are the things that are evident, that are happening in your life when you are living for God's honor, for God's glory. All right, let's have a word of prayer and we'll go. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to just spend some time studying your word. I pray that you would encourage and strengthen us with the truth of your word and help us to, Lord, understand how to aim for your glory. Lord, as we get ready for school, or we have some young people in here that are going to be sitting down, whether at home and, and, and studying things, or sitting down at, at, uh, at school before a teacher, and they're just going to be used to going to school, going to class, studying math, studying reading. Lord, help them to aim for your glory. Help them to go to school for your glory. Lord, help them to go to volleyball and soccer practice tomorrow for your glory. Lord, help us to pick up our kids from volleyball and soccer for your glory. Help us to go to work, to aim for your glory to drive on I-26 for your glory, to aim to give others, Lord, a wonderful testimony of your goodness, your greatness, and your supreme satisfaction. We love you. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. We'll see you Sunday.